Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons at 5 on Faith Radio. Warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. And boy, did we have fun last night. Last night we had a live event. We recorded it, and it's going to be aired uh, Monday. My friend Jeff Verdorn uh, gave a wonderful presentation on the parables, and we had a great uh, turnout, and everyone who showed up, I think, had a wonderful time. And and uh, thank you for coming. And you'll hear that uh, what we recorded coming on Monday at 4, so 4 Central Time. And this hour, I can hardly wait because uh, my friend and man I just uh, love and admire, uh, Dr. Mark Muska, is in studio. He's a professor of biblical and theological studies here at the University of Northwestern. So it's a Ask the Professor hour. Let us know what your questions are. I know we've got a bunch of listeners that have lots of questions because it was evident uh, last night that you got a lot of questions, which is great. So let me know what they are. You can call and come on the program live, or you can send me a text uh, you can always remain anonymous, but why would you want to? You're cool. 877-933-2484 is the number and the text line, 877-933-2484. Maybe you've been grappling with a question uh, from the Bible for years, maybe months, maybe days. Maybe you read something in your quiet time this morning you want clarification on. Now is the time to ask. We'll get your question. We'll get it to Dr. Muska right away. We'll take 60 seconds and get things started. For 70 years, Faith Radio has been a trusted voice sharing the good news of the gospel, lifting up the name of Jesus, and helping listeners grow in their faith. God has been so faithful to us in this ministry, thanks to the financial investment of thousands of friends just like you. But your partnership is still needed for the work ahead. Join us today with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com or by calling 877-93-FAITH. The happiest people. They're the ones with a vacation home on each continent. No. They're the ones in perfect health. No. They're the ones whose team wins the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, well, maybe. No. The happiest people are the most thankful people. Because when you focus on all that God has done for you, no matter what else is going on, it's really hard not to smile. So as you listen to Faith Radio, we hope you're inspired to live that kind of life every day. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. <laughs> he was reminding me that if you do call, you must have hands free. I want you to be very, very careful if you're in your car. And if you're uh, home, you can do whatever you want. But uh, you can also send a text. Uh, but make sure you're not driving or doing anything like that. 877-933-2484. Already got some questions coming in. But Mark, I'm going to start with a couple of my own, if you don't mind. You usually do. I know. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only dis- they are discerned only through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly going to be a lot of uh, people around the Thanksgiving table, friends, relatives, that would not be understanding spiritual things as much as you would like to be sharing spiritual things. Yep. 
Yes. Is that your, is that your full answer? Well, should we move on? <laughs> it, it's true. It is true. I think most followers of Christ have had this experience with family and friends and people they care about where they talk to them about Jesus and the gospel, and you might as well be speaking a different language. They look at you with a puzzled look on yeah. their face. How do we move the needle with these friends You just and loved keep ones? proclaiming the gospel, and you keep on loving them, and God's got to open their heart, Bill. Yeah. That takes all the pressure off us. We don't have to come up. That's such a trap that Christians fall into to think that if I only say this right— or in the right tone, or at the right time, then this person will put their faith in the gospel. And that's a, that's a loser's game. Yeah. That uh, you can look at some testimonies out there, people who came to faith in the gospel, and the person presented it and did an absolutely awful job, but God still opened their heart to the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus. So uh, it is God's work to mm-hmm. open hearts. I'm sure you probably have plenty of people like I do that we pray for regularly that God would open their hearts yes. and that we would look for our opportunities when they come, when the subject matter is brought up to open the door uh, to talk about spiritual things. But it usually doesn't take very long before you see whether they really are interested or not. Mm-hmm. And so if they're not, well, then stick them back in the oven, let them cook a little longer yeah. and then take them out later and, and see, uh, see where they're at. Yeah. But every year you might think you might be a little more persuasive or have a little bit better argument. And they oh, sure. still scoff at you. And I hope you do. Of course. Because that's your role. Yes. I mean, how uh, the, the classic verse we use for this is 1 Peter 3.15, that uh, do not uh, you know, be, be ready to give a defense for the right. hope that is in you, right. yet with gentleness and reverence or fear. Mm-hmm. And so we are to be prepared so that when we get the opportunity, we, we do a bang-up job and we don't stumble and fumble around with it. Mm-hmm. Marcus is on the line from Madison, has a question already. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hi, Marcus. Hello. You have a question? Hey. Question for Mark. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, so I was, I guess the question is, why um, Why did God have to send his son to die? It just, it seems like super harsh to uh, send, send your own only son to, to be crucified. Yeah, it is, Marcus. It's extreme. But that's making a point. And so we have to back up a couple steps and recognize what sin has done to us and what the ultimate penalty of sin is, and that is is that we die, that uh, the, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So we earn death through our sin and separation from God. And I think a lot of the time, Marcus, we don't really appreciate how hateful this is to God. It is against his very character and nature when we sin, when we lie, when we covet, when we lust, all this. And so it took a drastic remedy, which is either we die for our sins and are eternally separated from God, or thank God he sent his substitute, but that substitute had to pay that penalty. If God is just, the sin had to be paid for, and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did that as our substitute sacrifice in our place. Hallelujah. That's the greatest news ever. So I agree. If you just look at the death of Christ itself without looking at the context, it looks brutal. It looks like a God who doesn't really care about his son. But if you if you bring in those attendant ideas, it starts to make a little more sense. Does that, does that re- resonate? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
I mean, you're still going to chew on this for a while. That's not like the answer that you can go on and live your life now. It's it's still a very difficult thing, but welcome to the Christian life. There's so many things about God and his ways that will keep us, uh, keep us stra- uh, scratching our head as long as we're alive. And so uh, keep pushing, keep on asking those questions. Thank you. Yeah, sure. appreciate it. And have a great Thanksgiving. All right, you too. Thanks. Thanks yeah. a lot, Marcus. All right. Um. I was in Second John, Ooh. one. Whoa! A lot it, of people don't even know there's such a thing. I know, and it starts to the elder, to the lady chosen by God, and yeah. to her children, who, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Yeah. And now, do we do we know is this lady a person or is it referring to a church or? We don't know anything about this person, do we? I don't know if we know anything about them, but we don't know much. And so it keeps uh, uh, students of 2 John scratching their head. Okay. And you've labeled the two most common uh, ways to understand this, that this is some woman who maybe she's wealthy enough that she's able to host a church in her home. Interesting. And so uh, it's, it's this chosen lady or elect lady is the word there that's used, chosen or elect lady, and her children. Uh, so this might be a home church. I personally go for the second one you said, though, that John is using a euphemism here. He loves using figurative language. And I think what he's talking about here is the chosen lady is the church, and her children are the members of that church. And there's uh, there's documentary evidence for this, Bill, if you look at the last verse of Second John. Because uh, John ends it in verse 13 by saying, the children of your chosen sister greet you. And so that sounds like it's the members of your sister church greet you. So if I was going to weigh in one way or another, that's the way I'd go. But uh, it's not something that we can just slam dunk, no, for sure. Mm -hmm. It seems that from the beginning, there's always been uh, people out to deceive Oh, this is something that the gospel writers and the and the letter writers struggle with continually. Mm-hmm. Several of Paul's letters, he's dealing with people teaching right. false things. John gets into it here. That's why he sometimes in, put letters in his own handwriting. Right. Check the letter. That's well, my authenticated. handwriting. Authenticated. Yes, authenticated. That's yes. right. Yeah. And Second John, Third John, uh, he's dealing with false teachers. Peter. Uh, Second Peter is almost entirely devoted to false mm-hmm. teaching. The same thing with Jude. And so you can go right down the line here. This was a scourge on the early church. Is that the work of the enemy trying to uh, disrupt the message that was being put out? I would say ultimately it certainly fits in to uh, the great Satan's uh, uh, plans uh, there's all kinds of other reasons why people do this as well. And it's true today as well, that you can gain a whole lot of notoriety and attention by teaching something that's strange or people haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And so that may play a part of this human ego in this. Uh, whatever it is, it's, it seems to be something that the church for its entire 1900 years has had to wrestle with. Yeah. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. Let us know what your questions are. We have many coming in. We'll deal with hopefully all of them, 877-933-2484. I know I said that fast, so I'll say it again slowly, 877-933-2484. You can call and ask Mark uh, yourself. You can remain anonymous. You can send me a text, and I will ask on your behalf. We'll be back in 90 seconds.
back to the show. Dr. Mark Musk is in the studio, professor of biblical and theological studies here at the University of Northwestern. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I might throw that in. I think he's listening. Hmm. Yes, he's not good. All right. So uh, I'm writing things down here. <laughs> I know you are. Mm-hmm. All right. We were talking about a lot of stuff during the break. Which one do you want to tackle? I don't know. You're okay. the host. Yeah. That doesn't mean much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, go with uh, a caller that wanted to know in Psalm 68.8. Um, you know, she's trying to deal with how do I become equipped with the biblical and, and scriptural resources on the way the Lord decided to present himself through the names given in scripture, whether it's Greek or Hebrew? Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question because it really focuses in on God himself. Uh, we can look at the scriptures and say that is God's self-revelation. He is disclosing himself to us in the whole Bible in various things about how what his ways are, what his plans are, who we are, and that. But then specifically with God himself, he does uh, share with us the name that he wants to be uh, referenced with uh, in, in the Old Testament, very famous passage uh, over in Exodus 2, where uh, Moses, uh, this is the uh, Sunday school kids all over the place know this story about the burning bush where Moses came and uh, observed this burning bush, and God spoke to him from the bush. And uh, he sends uh, Moses to uh, rescue his people, the descendants of Abraham, uh, from Egypt. And uh, Moses isn't real excited about this in some respects. And so they get into a little bit of dialogue, and Moses asks God several questions. And one of them is, I'm paging over to it right now so I don't... uh, Mis, uh, misquote it, but uh, Moses, here he says, uh, mm, let's see, Exodus 3, 4, uh, 3.14 here is, uh, I'll start with verse 13. This is God speaking with Moses through the burning busher. And Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And then verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Okay. Now that is the the name that God discloses to Moses. And you're going to find this name, I am, is used uh, probably a couple hundred times in the Old Testament. It's all over the place. Uh, that Moses uses it in all five books of the Pentateuch, starting mm-hmm. in Genesis. And it's uh, it's pervasive throughout the, the whole Bible. In fact, if I can just take a little diversion here for a second, Bill. Please. I don't know if people are aware of this, but as you're reading your Bibles, you might want to look at this right now if you've got your Bible in front of you. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you will see sometimes that the word Lord is all in capital letters in your Bibles. Mm-hmm. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is a translation of the the Hebrew word here, I am. And the way it's normally said uh, by most uh, Bible-believing Christians is they'll use the word Yahweh for this, uh, that this is Yahweh. Uh, uh, some of the old saints, especially with the King James Version of the Bible, they'll speak of this word as Jehovah. And in my humble opinion, the Yahweh is a closer pronunciation of this rather than Jehovah. But if you see that word Lord in capital letters, that's in the original language, that is the name of God. Uh, And so I could get into a long diatribe with you. I don't think we should do it right now, but uh, 
the the pronunciation of this name uh, became uh, problematic because the Jews so wanted to revere the name of God that they chose not to ever say it. And so that's going to cause a problem after two or three generations after Moses because nobody knows how to say it, the name of God. And so we're not exactly sure how to pronounce that name. We do know the four consonants of his name, though, are Y-H-W-H in English. And so uh, this is th- this helps us, but we don't know exactly how to pronounce it. But then at times in the Scripture, God will associate this, that he is Yahweh Jireh, for example, of the God who provides or the God who protects or this, so he will bring other self-disclosure in. So uh, Victoria here, this is, you know, she's on to something. Mm-hmm. These are ways that God helps us understand who he is and his ways and how he deals with us and how he deals with his creation. So Mm -hmm. it's a great study. And then, of course, in the New Testament, the word that's used for God uh, is this word theos. Uh, That's where we get the word theology from, the study of God, theos, and ology. So uh, that is the most common term that's used along with the word Lord as well. And then, of course, uh, for us who believe the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, also God, uh, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But it's a rich study to get into the names and the self-disclosure of God all the way through the scriptures. That sounds wonderful. All right, here's a question came from Genesis chapter 4. We'll read it in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And the question is, what is the mark of Cain? Oh, that's a good question. It could be something so obvious, maybe on his face mm-hmm. or something like that, where it isn't like you would go, oops, I didn't see that on the back <laughs> of his arm, and I killed him, and now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cursed sevenfold. So whatever that sign is, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, what to say there, but it's definitely a warning sign here that they are not to harm this man. This man. Mm-hmm. When I um, hear the expression, what is meant as a, a sworn enemy of God? Who, who is a sworn enemy of God? Well, I would say that the great deceiver, uh, Satan, the devil, the accuser, mm-hmm. the liar, the murderer, uh, he's a sworn enemy of God. If you're an unbeliever, you're just walking the earth and you're hostile to God or you're hostile to the gospel, does that make you a sworn enemy? I don't know if I'd use that kind of language. I suppose you could make a case for that because of our sin separating us from God and and, uh, being hateful to God. We are certainly not seen in a good light. And yet at the same time, uh, God is uh, 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 kind to us. I mean, this gets back to Marcus's question there at the beginning of the hour, that even though this is hateful to him, he still loves his creation and he reaches out and he provides a means for us to be uh, at peace with him so that that hostility is not there. All right, Mark, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So as we look at that word grieve, I think it means what? What is it in the Greek to make sorrowful or something like that yeah, yeah. i mean what, there's there's nothing you know exotic yeah, about okay. the word it's, okay. it means to to uh, grieve uh it's ephesians 4 30 where yes, 4 30 the uh paul says uh, do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption 
and he's uh, speaking here about a lot of things that we should do and should not do in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is one of those things. It's usually seen as an, a, an idea of resisting the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, many of us have had this experience where we've had an impression from God that we need to do something or we're convicted about some temptation that we're experiencing about not doing that and warned in our conscience mm-hmm. uh, uh, not to do something. And that usually is attributed to the Holy Spirit. And we can either respond to that and continue to submit to the Holy Spirit's power and control, or we can uh, push him away, so to speak, and resist him. And this is one of the terms that's used for this in Ephesians uh, 4.30, uh, Paul uses a, another statement over in First Thessalonians uh, 5.19, where he's giving all kinds of very short little instructions here. I'm going to start in verse 16, where he says, Rejoice always, verse 17, pray without ceasing, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. And so this is, is seen by uh, most students of Paul's letters to be uh, a roughly equivalent idea of of resisting the spirit of of quenching the spirit, uh, and uh, and so uh, this is when we we uh, push him away and we resist him in one way or another mm-hmm. as he's uh, attempting to guide us. The night Jesus was arrested and Peter was in the courtyard and mm-hmm. he was accused of knowing him and he denied him three times. Mm-hmm. Is that an example of grieving the Holy Spirit? Is that an example of someone falling into radical sin or yes to both? Yeah, that's a tricky one to answer, Bill, because I don't like to speak about certain things going on if the scripture doesn't speak about it in that way. And I don't think you're going to find anything in those gospel narratives that talks about Peter resisting the spirit there that uh, this is, uh, I think we have to be careful. Uh, It could be that he is resisting the Spirit, don't get me wrong, but I'm not really going to emphasize that coming out of that passage, that he uh, he, uh, chickens out and denies Jesus, but yet he's convicted afterward. Remember where, I think it's Luke's Gospel, where he says that Peter went away and wept bitterly. Mm-hmm. after this, yes, uh, that he was he was struck in his conscience. And again, theologically, we'd probably say that that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit taking place to have him feel that remorse. But if the passage doesn't say it, I'm, I'm going to be hesitant about saying it as well. Mm-hmm. The Spirit is given to us, the third person of the Trinity, as our companion. I love that word. Uh, it's very powerful. It's uh, sometimes translated encourager, comforter, uh, exhorter. I like using the word companion. He walks right alongside us. He guides us. He teaches us. He convicts us when it's necessary. He's our companion. He's the one that leads us day by day. That's comforting. That's one of the reasons he's also referred to as the comforter, right? You bet. Yeah, it's awesome. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. Let us know what your questions are. We still have lots coming in, Um, but the number to call is 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. You can send a text or you can call. Either way, we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. Or Ask the Professor. I know you got questions. 
Let us know what they are. Call or text 877-933-2484. All right, Mark, here's a question. James from Cedar Falls. He said, when an infant or elderly person dies, what state will they be in when they are in heaven? Will they take on the life of a new body? How does the process work? Yeah, I don't know why he's picking elderly or infant. I mean, how about any of us in the, in the middle there, you know? <laughs> That's that, a good that point. End up dying. Yeah. Uh, but I think I understand what he's getting at from the first to the last. And so uh, this is something that the Bible really doesn't give us a tremendous amount of information on, Bill. Uh, but it does give us some guidance. And so we can uh, we can rely on that. Uh, this is of incredible interest in our world, though, today, when we start talking about heaven. Uh, wasn't it Randy Elkhorn that wrote a book about mm-hmm, yeah. heaven that just sold millions of copies? Yeah. Uh, people are tremendously interested in understanding uh, what this afterlife is all about. And then we get into all these books that are the near-death experiences where uh, movies have been made about this and books written and that. So it is a very uh, much a, a, a topic of interest uh, to uh, try to be as Briefly as I can with this, James, uh, the Scripture gives us some guidance about this, that when we die physically, our bodies, they decompose, or they may be cremated or something like that, but our bodies are done with. But then what makes us human beings that is not physical or not material, that lives on. Uh, The Scriptures are quite clear about this. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew, I believe it is 17, where he says, uh, do not fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one that can kill both the body and the soul. And so there is a a part of us that lives on, and you can call this our spirit, our soul, uh, the immaterial part of us, whatever you want to call it, but that uh, lives on. And there's a couple hints Paul gives us uh, as far as what happens with that person. Uh, when they die, that immediately it appears as though from what Paul says to reassure the church at Corinth that we uh, we go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord if we belong to Jesus. Uh, I'm reading here from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 here, where uh, Paul's trying to encourage the Corinthians here, and I'm going to start with verse 6. He says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. And so it appears as though what Paul's saying there is when we are absent from the body, when death takes place, we are at home with the Lord. That this is something that happens relatively immediately. I don't know if instantaneously or within two minutes or something like that. But uh, we go to be in the presence of God. And this is what our folklore talks about with heaven. We go to heaven to be with Christ and that is something that happens, and it is it is a very very good thing that happens. And uh, the, the in fact, uh, Paul makes this clear that he preferred that for him it would be very much better to die and to go and be with Christ. He's talking to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter one at the church of Philippi there, and he's talking to them very personally about his life and what's going on. He's, he's in prison, but the gospel's being proclaimed, all kinds of good stuff's happening. But then in verse 21, Philippians 1, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
But the way he talks there, it sounds like this is a really great thing when we take our last breath, that we um, go into the presence of God and the presence of Christ, and Paul yearned for it. He looked forward to that. He realized his mission wasn't yet done, and so he was content to live on and to continue to minister. But if he could have had his way, he would have died and gone to be with Christ because it's such a wonderful thing to be there. I love what one of my pastor friends said in a message a couple of years back where he said, that is the joy of heaven. The joy of heaven isn't the puffy clouds and the harps and the angels singing. The joy of heaven is Jesus is there. And that's what will fulfill us and give us this joy in unsurpassable. So, yeah, we die, we go, and we are with Jesus. Now, in that non-physical form, we then await for the sound of the archangel, the shout of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet that's going to take place for Thessalonians 4, mm-hmm. when the resurrection takes place. And at that moment, we are immediately reunited with a new, incorruptible, physical body. And that appears to be the way that we spend the rest of eternity, that we are physical again as human beings, and that we spend it with God in the perfect utopia of the new heavens and new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. Wow, that's awesome. So I'm sorry, it, it takes a little while to no, th- no. You know, so just set that out there. There's just so much folklore about this, though, Bill. People get you know misguided and and uh, and off the tracks if they're not careful in their thinking about this. Yeah, we listen to traditional ways of understanding things and we stick to them, don't we? Mm-hmm. And they are not biblical. Well, I think a lot of the time tradition's good, but it doesn't mean that we don't have to take a second look at it. Right, right. So when I think of John chapter 8, when Jesus uh, finds this woman caught in adultery, and mm-hmm. the the judgment was, if you were caught in adultery, you'd be stoned to death, right? Yep. And he's not disobeying the law. And he's re- they're ready to stone her. And he says, all right, let's go ahead and stone her, right? I don't know if he says that, well, but his, in essence, that's in what essence, he says. he's saying yeah. that. Um, but he didn't condemn the woman accused of adultery, did he? Well, uh, he didn't condemn her, but he exhorted her. Right. He told her, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Does this, um, as the... Well, I should, I, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm reading it here again. But in John eight ten, he explicitly says here, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, uh, no. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on sin no more. Didn't they want to condemn her, though? Well, that's what stoning would do, sure. Yeah, that that was, according to the justice of the law, they could do that. Uh, Jesus here, he loves to do this, where he escalates a situation and he gets to a higher level of teaching that he wants to get to. And this is a classic example of this, that this isn't about adultery and the law. This is about uh, loving neighbors and being circumspect to understand our own sinfulness, that this mm. was a self-righteous kind of we're better than her kind of thing going on. I find it really odd, Bill, that this type of thing is happening around the world, even yet today in 2019, where people will stigmatize uh, certain really awful, filthy sins, and there's a smugness and a self-righteousness to that if you're not careful. Uh, it is completely against the the flow and the current of the Scripture to have mm-hmm. that attitude. Uh, I always fall back on Galatians 6.1, where uh, Paul gives terrific advice. He says, Brothers, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, 
restore such a one yet with gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Isn't that just a great verse? Mm -hmm. That if we have to confront someone about sin, we do it with a deep sense of our own frailty and fallibility when it comes to temptation, that it might not be this sin that gets us, but there's other temptations that will bring us down if we're not careful. When Jesus said, you know, who have not sinned, whoever has not sinned should throw the first stone, mm-hmm. and as the, the as they started to slip away from the area, do you think the older guys left first? <laughs> it, uh, it seems as though that they did not, uh, I think that's even in the passage here. Yeah, verse 9, uh, Jesus, uh, he said the uh, in verse 7, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, he began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone in the woman where she was in the center of the court. So, yeah, they'd lived long enough where they knew exactly <laughs> their, their shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know if you have a question you'd like uh, Mark to tackle with. We'd be happy to take it, 877-933-2484. Um, there was a discussion that came up earlier this week, uh, Mark, on suicide, yeah. And a listener has said, um, martyr versus a murder thinking between Samson and Judas. One fulfilled God's will in sacrificing his life, and the other, out of guilt, took his life and repented of himself, not unto God, and was and, and said it was sent to, he was sent to hell. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting take on that. Um, I, they, uh, both these men killed themselves. If I recall, this is not... Uh, ever sanctioned by God in in the book of Judges, uh, that uh, Samuel does uh, implore from the Lord that he would uh, strengthen him one last time. But uh, I'm, I'm getting over to the passage here just to make sure I'm getting this correct here. Yes, uh, this is quite a prayer. In Judges 16 here, uh, Samson has been blinded. He's been uh, put in this pagan temple mm-hmm. to be mocked. And in Judges sixteen twenty eight, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord, and by the way, Lord, there's capitals, L-O-R-D. So he called to Yahweh and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And that's where his strength is is renewed and it says, verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it, the dead whom he killed at his death was more than those whom he killed in his life. So there's a, a, a sense of remorse and repentance there. I don't know if God sanctions the suicide necessarily there, but it is, uh, it's something I think we have to remain silent about with Samson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judas, on the other hand, this is universally among Bible-believing students. Uh, he is condemned for his sin against Christ. Jesus and the apostles offer him no hope at all. I don't know if it's because of his suicide, however. It's because of his betrayal and, uh, and treason against Jesus. And so the suicide is kind of the final straw here. But it's not connected to his suicide that he is called the man of perdition. Okay. So there's much more going on there with Judas. Thank you for that. Um, get to John 639. And the okay. question from the listener is, how do we understand 
that he shall lose none of those that the Father has given him. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a look at it. I'm f- flying back and forth in my Bible here. Which is good. Yeah, that's, it's good for me. you're not paid to do. Yeah, these pages aren't stuck together or anything. <laughs> so uh, this is where Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And he compares himself to Moses, who gave them manna in the wilderness, and how he's superior. In verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, to the people, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. (coughs) Excuse me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So uh, Jesus is getting to the point here to say, you don't have to fear that I'm going to reject you if you are stepping toward me. I like the way Luke brings this out in his gospel where Luke is declaring all who wish to come to Jesus may come. It doesn't matter who you are, mm-hmm. what your background is, what your job is, how smart you are, what ethnicity, what sex, nothing. It's all irrelevant. All who wish to come to Jesus may come. And he's saying the same thing here. And he goes further to say, yes, and if you come, I will keep you. That uh, this is a little bit later in the, in the uh, uh, teaching about Jesus being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and his fold he is going to protect and no one will be able to take them away from Jesus or from the Father. So these are meant to be reassuring verses to uh, those of us who follow Christ that we don't have to fear somehow that something or someone is going to come and take us away from Jesus. Not going to happen. Beautiful. Love it. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. We'll take a little break. We have time for a few more questions. 877-933-2484. You can call or text. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. He's the professor of theology and biblical studies here at the University of Northwestern. It looks like we still got lots of uh, questions coming in. Mark, um, hmm. let's see. Wondering uh, your thoughts on the theology of pre-existence. I've heard a few well-known pastors preach that we've had a relationship with God before we were born. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, That's not something that uh, I've heard a great deal about. Uh, I think it's a a nice theory. I don't know if you can say yay or nay from the scriptures on it. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are the kind of subjects that might be uh, interesting to talk about, but I'm I'm not sure we can get uh, very far. Mm -hmm. All right, here's another question. Any insight on what Paul was doing in the desert for three years after his conversion? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a great question. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, he uh, he was on the shelf for a while. That he was uh, in the in the wilderness for three years. Uh, he was back in his home at Tarsus, where Barnabas had to go retrieve him uh, to the church at Antioch. 
I think he is going through a uh, what you might call revision theological seminary that God is teaching him. Uh-huh. Uh, Clipping him, well, preparing him. Well, think of his knowledge of the scriptures. This guy's a Pharisee, and he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, so he knows the scripture. He really knows the Old Testament. But now to have his eyes open to Jesus and the Messiah, it's like it flips over the entire understanding that he has of the Old Testament. And I think he probably had to re-examine it uh, from Genesis all the way through to Malachi over again uh, to understand and to integrate Jesus into that. It's almost like a whole new chapter of his life starts, and he's got to start from zero. So I suspect that may be a lot of what was going on there. We don't know. Uh, but it, uh, I also think it's there's some wisdom there as well that Paul just didn't jump into ministry and just go from that point on. He did do some proclaiming of the gospel. It got him into hot water with the Jews because he had turned now to be for Jesus. But uh, this isn't the, the, or the worst thing for anyone who has put uh, their faith in Jesus in the gospel, to have some time of preparation uh, before they jump into ministry like this, especially high-profile people. I don't know if you've gotten uh, into it on your show at all, but this thing that's going through the pop world today is uh, this whole thing about Kanye West and mm-hmm. uh, making a profession of faith. And it sounds as though he's got some wise people around him that are urging him to uh, scale down a lot of the preaching and the declarations until he gets grounded a little bit further in the in the faith. And I would say that's sound advice. Uh, a generation ago, the, uh, one of the leading men that did this, and I think it made his ministry incredibly fruitful, was Charles Colson, because he was the same thing. He put his faith in Christ, and he was in a Bible study there in Washington with a bunch of politicians and that, and they urged him to keep a low profile for uh, many months before he really started to speak and to give his testimony in that so he could get grounded in his faith and in the scriptures. And uh, Colson looked back on that with uh, great uh, gratitude that they Mm -hmm. had the wisdom uh, sometimes we thrust these high-profile conversions out there uh, uh, too quickly, and it and it's not good for them at all. Yeah, they're not ready, are they? Well, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But why risk it? Why not give them the time they need to get their feet on the ground? Mm-hmm. Mark, that passage where Moses is told to speak to the rock and instead he smashes his yes. staff against it? Yes. What do you think he was thinking at the time? Well, that's what he did before. So that when they first came out of Egypt in the wilderness, God told them to whack the rock. Okay. <laughs> and he did it and All the right. water came out. Okay. And, and, and so this time he says, speak to the rock and he whacks it. And God said, I didn't tell you to hit, hit it. Right. It's, that uh, kind of came with some consequences, too, didn't oh, it? Oh, he didn't get into the land. He didn't uh, get into the land. He got and, to see it, but and he couldn't cross into he it. He died, and no one knows where he's buried. Well, I'm glad about that. <laughs> that I, I, I think uh, all of these great people, we don't know where Abraham's to- tomb is either. Uh, there's some speculation about David in Jerusalem and the tomb of the kings, but uh, I'm glad we don't have these kind of things. I think they'd be a distraction to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. All right, Chris is calling in from Connecticut. Chris, you are up next. We have a question for Mark. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hey. Yes. Hey, how are you? Uh, no, I had a question for Mark, which is, uh, you know, we have, uh, obviously, all of us have friends who are non-believers and some that are, you know, truly, um, I guess I would call atheists. And how do you reconcile something like John 1, uh, you know, 9 and 10, when they ask you a question like, you know, well, I mean, Timothy McVeigh claimed to have been a believer, you know, in his mm-hmm. 
literally on his deathbed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, how can it be that someone who's committed such a horrific crime, uh, you know, literally could still be saved, you know, in his last days? Yep. And I, I always have a hard time answering that one. Yep, I, I think it's it's not the easiest thing because uh, our sense of justice gets in the way that someone can be a criminal and uh, the one that's been used for years and years on this one, Chris, is uh, somebody like Adolf Hitler. You know, before the Russians broke into his his uh, bunker and before he killed himself, if he put his faith in Jesus, would he be with Jesus forever in heaven? And I'm not going to try to answer that, but it does bump up against this justice thing. Uh, so. Uh, I think we have to be very careful about that. Again, uh, to stand and and uh, uh, I, I urge my stu- students sometimes, Chris, not to step into the role of assistant Holy Spirit and start judging and discerning other people and their worthiness to be saved or not to be saved. Because really, it doesn't really matter uh, how bad someone is. We all are bad enough to be condemned and punished by God because of his pers- perfect righteousness. So it's it's merely a, a matter of degree. By saying that, I do not want to give the impression, though, I'm trying to make excuses for people who've really done horrible things. But the point is, is that God's salvation is available to everyone. And honestly, Chris, I don't know if a non-Christian is going to be able to understand that very well, unless it somehow can be brought home to him or her about their own state, and the, they may not have been a Timothy McVeigh and going out and murdering people, but they have still, uh, they've, if they're honest with themselves at all, they've still done plenty that has been evil itself as well. And so have I, and so have you, and so has everybody else. So I don't like getting onto this scale of, uh, you know, how, how much weight is the sin here and the evil. Uh, the, the, uh, it doesn't matter. And you know that, I can tell from the way you talk here, but it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for a non-Christian, uh, a non-follower of Christ to be able to, uh, to uh, accept that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those arguments that you get, you know, uh, especially when you're dealing with atheists, and, uh, you know, they immediately point to something like that and say, you mean to tell me that, you know, and I guess McVeigh actually did uh, profess faith yes, in Christ, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the last few days of his life. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the ones they always rush to and say, you, you can't tell me that he's had it now, you know. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what the Bible is going to tell you, you know. Yep. I like to lovingly but directly get after people like that and make them start to explain to me what they think and what they believe, because it's real easy to sit there with the trash can and throw trash all over things you don't like about Christianity, and it puts Christians on the defensive a lot of the time. And I'm not saying that you should be belligerent or somehow attack the poor guy, but uh, to just, you know, I like to turn it around with an atheist or an agnostic to say, okay, you tell me you don't believe in God. Well, then what do you believe in? And get them going, because usually there's more holes in what they believe than in Swiss cheese. Thanks, Chris, so much for calling. That was a great question. So, Mark, I, I want to jump back to, to Moses. And I think yep. that passage is in Numbers 20, okay. where, you know, if anyone should have known better that to, you know, sin deliberately against God, it would have been Moses, right? I mean, he spoke to him face to face. And yet after he sinned or disobeyed, he's led up to sh- see the promised land. And then he is, then he dies and we don't know where he's buried. Yep. 
But then we see him at the transfiguration. Yep. There he is with Jesus. Kind of a happy ending, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot I mean, of people that... think, well, if you sin and, you know, then you've lost your fellowship. Oh, man. Then we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. I better go and just sit in some church building and not do anything not until I die. Not, or yeah, anything. not do yeah. anything. But yet that's not that's sin because I'm supposed to talk to people about Jesus. So you're, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, you, yeah, you're in big I trouble. I don't want to make light of that because no. if you start thinking that you have to have a clean slate before God when you take your last breath, I think you're in real trouble. Uh, that is a dead end in any way you want to look at it. Uh, we are not saved because of what happens the last breath we take. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can have confidence in that today, even though we might have a lot of breaths left, left mm-hmm. yet to breathe. Yeah. want to say thank you, Mark, uh, for coming in, and sorry to uh, Frank and Clark and Molly and John that we didn't quite get to your questions, but uh, we sure appreciate the input. And Mark, have a happy Thanksgiving. It's nice you to bet. see you. Yes, and, uh, always. And blessings on you and your family and Thank you. your work. And we just love having you in studio. It's fun. Yeah, it is fun for me. We'll take a little break, and then hour two is just ahead. We're going to talk to Dr. Alex McFarlane at the top of the hour, and then Arlene Pelican is going to be with me. It's going to be a great hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.